Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated. They publish on the town. It's a weekly publication of highlights of what's happening here on the Paradise Coast, and you can find out more by visiting the website, naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including... Keith Flaw, he's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance and a real advocate for education, good education here in Florida, public education. We'll visit with Brad Palumbo. He is the deputy contributor and editor for the Washington Examiner. We'll be talking about uh, the Democratic Party and where it's lining up right now with regard to its uh, presidential candidate, as well as the uh, relief money and how it's being used, at least part of it. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and we'll visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. It is April the 23rd, and on this day in 1975, at a speech in Tulane University, President Gerald Ford said the Vietnam War was over as far as America was concerned. Here's a quote, uh, tomorrow, or today, Americans can regain the sense of pride that existed before Vietnam, but it cannot be achieved by refighting a war. This was devastating news to the South Vietnamese who were desperately pleading for U.S. support at the North Vietnamese surrounded Saigon for the final assault on the capital city. Well, the North Vietnamese had launched a major offensive in March to capture the provincial capital uh, in the uh, Central Highlands. The South Vietnamese defenders there fought very poorly and were quickly overwhelmed by Vietnamese attackers despite previous promises by Presidents uh, Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford to provide support. The United States did nothing. In an attempt to reposition his forces for a better defense, South Vietnamese President Van Thieu ordered his uh, forces to the highlands to withdraw to more defensible positions in the south. What started out as a reasonably orderly withdrawal soon degenerated into a panic that spread throughout the South Vietnamese armed forces. The South Vietnamese abandoned uh, the cities there in the highlands with very little fighting and the North Vietnamese pressed the attack from the west and the north. In quick secession, uh, the, uh, nor the cities fell to the communist onslaught. And of course, the North Vietnamese continued to attack south along the coast, defeating the South Vietnamese at each encounter. So uh, we withdraw, kind of in shame, left uh, North Vietnam, and uh, the war was over. By April 27th, the North Vietnamese had completely encircled Saigon and began to maneuver for their final assault. By the morning of April the 30th, it was over, with the North Vietnamese tanks crashed through the gates of the presidential palace in Saigon. The South Vietnamese surrendered, and the Vietnam War was officially over. Vietnam's a wonderful place right now. I've never never been to Vietnam, but those that have finished, visited recently uh, really enjoy the visit in Vietnam. So it's amazing how we can get the mental set of war. That can be resolved. Of course, it was a concern about the spread of communism and coming into Vietnam. But uh, a lot of people lost their lives. There a lot of carnage as a result of Vietnam. And, of course, uh, it was not a popular war with the public. Uh, a little update, the total number of uh, confirmed COVID-19 cases in Cuyahoga County has increased to 487. That's over yesterday, and there's still about still 10 deaths of people who died with COVID-19. 
That doesn't mean they died because of it, but they died with it. 72 people have been hospitalized with the disease. Uh, some, of course, have been released. Here's a Quinnipiac poll. It was released yesterday. found that 72% of Florida's Floridians don't want to loosen social distancing rules at the end of April when the governor's lockdown order prohibiting residents from uh, leaving home except to obtain or provide essential services or conduct essential activities is set to expire. Additionally, 76% of Floridians believe the economy only should reopen when public health officials say it's safe, according to the polls. Uh, health officials have warned that reopening too soon could risk another wave of infections and deaths. And 63% of those surveyed said that if social distancing restricted or eased, they would be uncomfortable going back to work without widespread testing for the virus. The Quinnipiac poll found 50% of Floridians approve of how DeSantis is handling the coronavirus crisis so far, and 41% disapprove, although 61% think he could have responded sooner. There's considerable debate over what when uh, to end the coronavirus lockdowns, with health experts warning that easing up on restrictions too quickly could lead to another wave of infections and deaths. Leading Florida at Democrats have said that the state should not reopen until more testing is available, but DeSantis has repeatedly noted that the state's health care system has not been overwhelmed by COVID-19, and the number of uh, daily infections appears to be leveling off and arguing for an end to Florida's lockdown. He touted the uh, state's response to the coronavirus pandemic by pointing out that the curve appears to have been flattening without draconian orders like other states have implemented. Right now, at last, as of last night, we have 730 people statewide in ICU, he told Fox News. People said our hospitals are going to go be overrun. Well, we've actually increased hospital bed space and ICU bed space during the pandemic. So there were fewer beds available in Florida in February than there are right now. So Florida flattened the curve. People have done a great job. DeSantis mentioned that other states, including New York's, have imposed far stricter measures and didn't have the same results. You can go back six weeks, he said. Everybody was saying that Florida was going to be the worst, worse than New York. Well, it wasn't. It's, uh, if you look at what's uh, happened there, that's not true. You know, New York, for example, has about 25 times the number of fatalities of Florida, even though we have two more two million more folks. DeSantis said uh, days ago that he will use President Trump's plan to reopen the economy as a baseline. Protesters uh, across the United States have taken to the streets, most notably in Michigan, to push back against the government-imposed stay-at-home orders, which many feel have been too strict and have lasted too long. Among the other findings from this poll, 79% of Floridians are concerned that they or someone in their family could contract the virus. 81% of Floridians believe people should wear face masks or coverings in stores. And 40% of Floridians say they feel financially strapped because of the coronavirus crisis. And 21% they have said they've lost their jobs or been furloughed. Isn't that interesting? You hear about people living hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck, and yet only 40% of Floridians who are, by the way, uh, in this poll, included in this poll, feel strapped. Uh, a new study uh, by the Medical Journal reveals that most of the people in New York City who were hospitalized during the coronavirus have had one or more underlying health issues. Health records from 5,700 patients hospitalized within the Northwell Hospital System, which housed the most patients in the country throughout the pandemic, show that 94% of patients had more than one disease other than coronavirus. 
had one or more diseases, I, I should say, according to the Journal of American Medical Association. Uh, data taken from March to early April showed that the median age of patients was 63, and 53% of all coronavirus patients suffered from hypertension, the most prevalent of the ailments among patients. In addition, 42% of coronavirus patients who had body mass index or uh, suffered from obesity, 42% were obese, and 32% of all patients suffered from diabetes. The study also revealed that the overwhelming majority of patients who were on ventilator, ventilators eventually died, and those who did uh, more often had diabetes. That's uh, so interesting. That's uh, information from 2,634 patients. Attorney General uh, William Barr, by the way, on Tuesday said the Justice Department could take action against states whose coronavirus lockdowns are deemed too strict. And Rand Paul weighed in. He said it's time to open the economy. The virus is not as deadly as previous reported. Of course, I'll just remind you, he is while a senator. He's an ophthalmologist and a medical doctor. So, again, I'm, uh, I'm just really concerned about uh, people listening. They're saying if they don't want to open the economy until health officials say it's okay. I'm not sure that's who, who we should be listening to. I think we should be listening to ourselves. We manage ourselves. We can each make our own decisions. It's pretty clear to me that uh, people are vulnerable if they have underlying health conditions and their, their immune system is uh, reduced or compromised. So my recommendation is uh, for those people that have compromised immune systems or serious issues like diabetes, perhaps should self-quarantine. And the rest of us, uh, even though we might get the virus, apparently most of us are asymptomatic. Uh, let's reopen the economy and do it in a prudent way. Let's keep social distancing. Uh, let's uh, get back to work and do it in a way where employers are uh, taking into account our health needs and keeping us distant from customers as well as each other. But we can do that, and we shouldn't wait for health officials to say when it's okay. Uh, that, that could lead to the total demise of our economy, which would be devastating. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. By the way, I just remind you that I have a friend who's a two handicap in golf. For those of you that don't play golf, that's a very good golfer. And uh, he has diabetes. He's decided to self-quarantine. We haven't seen hide nor hair of him for the last six weeks. And why is because he's trying to take care of his own health. We all have the capacity to make good decisions for ourselves. Those who don't make good decisions, of course, would suffer the consequences. Maybe that's the way it should work. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service 
Fabulous food and a rockin' good time, Lulabee's Diner's a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, the balance of the season has been canceled, but we've got a great season lined up for next fall, starting next fall. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Also, while you do that, great education programs this summer once this uh, stay-at-home thing is lifted. So uh, find out more, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo. He's with the Washington Examiner. We'll be talking a little bit about the Democrat Party as well as the relief money that's been spent out, sent out. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Keith Flaw. Keith is one of my heroes, actually. He's a, a co-founder of a terrific organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Florida Citizens Alliance is a, a not-for-profit. Uh, we're a coalition of well over 100 groups, uh, well, well over 100 groups now, uh, that focus on K-12 through education reform. Mm-hmm. Um, to us, that means uh, school choice, parental choice options, and uh, you know, getting rid of the indoctrinations in our current sco- uh, school system. Yeah, great mission. Those are the major things we focus on. Yeah, and get, having uh, getting great results because of the influence and the... Uh, uh, reputation that you've gained in Tallahassee. So uh, it's kind of interesting. A Harvard professor, this made big news nationally, uh, came out saying that uh, 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 homeschooling is not a good idea. What are your thoughts? 
Well, it's amazing. Um, and, and, and I think every parent uh, and every American should be shocked by and outraged by what she's uh, what She's a Harvard Law professor. Her name is Elizabeth Bartholet. And she claims, quote unquote, it is unsafe for parents to homeschool their children because they should not have such control over their own children. <laughs> See, this gets right to the heart of, of, of what we've talked about. They are actually the, the charges of the parents, not the school system. And uh, you worked very hard to get that uh, uh, underscored in the legislature. Uh, I don't think that happened this time, but perhaps next time it can. Yes, well, we're hopeful, but... Um you know, it, 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 let me let me also just for your audience quote, and I'm quoting from the article that was published in the Harvard Magazine May June issue. She said uh, the issue is we do not think that parents should have 24/7, essentially authoritarian control over their children between the ages of zero and 18. Uh, and again, I quote: I think that's dangerous. I think it's dangerous. It's always dangerous to have powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. Uh, this is just outrageous. <laughs> it's outrageous indeed. I mean, that's the reason why we have some of the problems we have right now, is the kids aren't influenced by values and some of the important things that parents can bring to the conversation. Uh, they've been separated and, in fact, kind of sent out to, uh, as you've demonstrated so many time in our, times in our interviews, to, to learn propaganda in some cases, uh, stuff that's not even true. Well, Florida has one of the highest uh, homeschool rates in the in the nation, and I think with this coronavirus and now parents, uh, you know, being forced to quote unquote homeschool their kids, uh, even though the school districts are still involved with this distant learning, I think more and more parents are learning that uh, homeschooling is not that difficult, and they can get a much better education with parents involved. So, um, you know, I think the left is is concerned that the and, and we'll be seeing more of these kinds of attacks. Uh, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. So uh, any update on what's happening here locally in our school system? Just remind our listeners that we have about twenty over $22,000 a year going to educate each child in Collier County, which is about double the national average. Kids have been sent home. If, uh, so I, I would imagine this is leading to a reduction in staff in the Collier County school system. Well, we haven't seen that yet, but what uh, they're holding, a, they, they just announced uh, that they've canceled their normal school board meeting on the 21st, but they're holding a virtual school board meeting, I mean on the 15th, they're holding a virtual school board meeting on the 21st, and it has two purposes. Um, one is to, sh uh, they call it tax neutral, it's to shift to 0.35 mils from the capital budget, outlay budget, uh, to the operating budget. And the rationale is interesting. They declare uh, outright that um, funding uh, funding in Florida for schools is is just not adequate. Hmm. At twenty three, at, at close to twenty three thousand dollars per student, uh, the high, one of the highest in the state, and certainly high nationally. And they're also, and this is curious, uh, they're saying that it's necessary because quote unquote sixty four point five percent of the students are from counties that require um, these kinds of tax referendums. Uh, what does that have to do with, <laughs> with, the, with the whole issue? But the, So, so they're, they're going to try to move operating uh, or capital money to operating. The, um, my bigger concern for this is uh, the other element on the item on the agenda is to finalize uh, uh, approval for a, a $95 million new high school in uh, North Naples. Uh, given the the, 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 
the influence that I think coronavirus is going to have on moving towards distance learning. Uh, uh, my view is the last thing we need to be doing in, in this uh, uh, really austere budget environment now is uh, capital outlay um, money, construction for what I call new factory mm-hmm. uh, schools. And so uh, we've actually recommended to, to the, uh, the the Florida DOE, the commissioner, that uh, to get the governor to put a moratorium on all new construction across the state. Yeah, Whether I think they'll do that or not. I don't know. Yeah, but. I think that's a great recommendation, Keith. And I, you know, I think this uh, the the uh, pandemic has created opportunities in a number of ways. One of the opportunities is to figure out how we can influence distance learning, not only for the public schools, but also for our colleges and universities. You know, I'm not sure we need these factories necessarily. It creates a lot of expense. Uh, for kids and uh, a lot of expense for for taxpayers, I think there's uh, perhaps something we can learn from this and ways that we can improve the education process. Uh, I certainly uh, applaud that uh, that notion, and we're doing uh, doing what we can to influence it in that direction. I know you are, Keith. So uh, one of the things I'm I'm aware of is that uh, you're actually sponsoring or or hosting an event to help educate voters about what's happening in District 19 for for the uh, U.S. Congress. Yes, uh, on the 28th we have uh, we're, we're doing it. Uh, candidates, uh, uh, we have 11 candidates running for office, or at least that have said they're running. Uh, tomorrow, the 24th, is the final qualification date. So, mm-hmm. you know, we may have a couple of them drop out, but we're uh, on the 28th at 5 p.m. Um, people can go to our Facebook page and uh, and live. We're going to be live streaming. Uh, eight of the candidates uh, that have agreed to participate in a f- in a forum. Uh, our moderators are exciting for us. Uh, Bob McClure, who's the CEO of James Madison Institute, is personally going to be one of the moderators, as wow. is Father Orsi, who uh, takes no prisoners when it comes to um, in our Constitution and our God-given rights. Oh, so that's fantastic. It'll be, uh, be a really interesting forum, and uh, people can join us. Um, by going to, uh, again, going to our website, uh, FLCA, um, um, goflca.com, and, uh, and, and from there get connected to our Facebook page. And um, on Facebook, you can live, you'll be able to participate by live streaming. So this is a bipartisan, in other words, will we have both Democrat and Republican yeah. candidates? Yeah, yeah, there are... Um, there are 11 candidates in total that have indicated an interest. Uh, we have two Democrats, so there will be a primary, uh, competitive primary, uh, and uh, the rest are Republicans. Uh, we've invited all of them. Uh, so uh, both Democrats have agreed to participate, and uh, six of the, of the Republicans. Uh, there are three that have not yet uh, confirmed. Actually, there's one that declared he wasn't going to participate, and the others we just haven't heard from. So it could be up to 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, my expectation is that we'll have uh, eight candidates um, participating, and it will be bipartisan. Terrific. Well, uh, I'm just going to encourage our listeners again. GoFLCA.com is the website. GoFLCA.com. That's 5 p.m. on the 28th of April. Great opportunity to get firsthand information about our candidates for U.S. Congress. Again, GoFLCA.com. And then go to the Facebook page. Keith, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Terrific, and have a great weekend, Bob. You as well, thank you. I always appreciate Keith saying have a good weekend on Thursday morning, so <laughs> still got some work to do here. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the uh, with the Washington Examiner, the contributor's editor and commentary writer. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pickup curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get people off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives. And, of course, that's all been thrown on hold since the pandemic. But you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. He's the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the deputy's contributors editor and commentary writer for the Washington Examiner. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Brad. So uh, you wrote a piece about the Democrat Party, and of course uh, this, the pandemic news has just sucked all the air away from the election. And, uh, but, you know, there's some important things going on, including the choice of the candidate for president, what's going on with the choice for vice president. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. The coronavirus has definitely sucked some of the air out of the 2020 primary, but some stories keep coming along that are 
uh, basically so big I can't, or, or so interesting that I can't not cover them. Right. And that's my, that was my impression when I saw a few days ago a new Pew Research study came out where they surveyed Democrat voters and they found that actual minority Democrats, black and Hispanic, were fine with having a white nominee. But a lot, almost a majority, so 49% of white Democrats felt bad and guilty about the fact that their nominee is an older white male. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? This identity politics and the focus on the color of skin as opposed to the competence of, uh, and the ability to lead, it's, it's, it's what a diversion away from what's so important. It really is a diversion, and it's really a sad worldview. I mean, you literally have white people, uh, you have Democrats, half of Democrats are bothered by the race of their nominee. Yeah. Setting aside the fact that it's a white person, right? I would have hoped that in 2020, we would not be at a point where uh, half of one of the major party is upset about a politician's skin color. That to me just seems, it seems bizarre, but there's also, it seems bizarre and absurd, but there's also something wrong with it because there's, it's like almost condescending. It's almost paternalistic to the black and Hispanic Democrats who like Joe Biden and who picked him and don't care that he's white. The white people are saying, oh, no, no, you sweet little minorities. We know what's best. It, it, it's, to me, it, it's really diagnostic of a, a deeply flawed worldview corrupting their party with this identity politics. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's, as you mentioned, a diversion. And uh, it's so interesting. And, of course, the, uh, the quality of the candidate, the presidential candidate himself, I mean, he's, he's demonstrating signs of aging in, in his mentality, dementia, whatever it might be. It's very concerning, and uh, we should be concerned about that. He's, he said that in the next couple of days he's going to initiate a process to choose his vice presidential candidate, and he's pointed out that it should be a woman of color. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Again, focusing on identity politics in two different ways. Yeah, um, I have a couple thoughts there. One is that if I was a Democrat, I wouldn't be worrying about Joe Biden being a white male. I would be worrying about whether he's going to be mentally competent to be president. Right. And I say that with no animus. I mean, I feel a little bit bad for the guy. Right. But we've seen time and time again him tripping over his words. He can't even do a cable news interview, right, without just sputtering gibberish for 30 seconds, right. even while he's looking at notes. So I think there's some real concern there about the capacity of their candidate, which only makes their obsession over his identity even more silly. As far as the vice president is concerned, look, I think that there are some women of color in both parties who might be great vice presidents, right. but it is bizarre to me that there's almost a racial litmus test in the Democrats right now where a lot of people are going to be mad if he picks a white person as, as his vice president. And so he's probably going to go with it and pick Stacey Abrams or pick Kamala Harris or pick a minority woman. And it's not that there's a problem with picking a minority woman at all. There's not. But you shouldn't be picking someone because of their race. And he's basically just doing that out of fear mm -hmm. of the really woke left wing part of the party. But to me, that's just that's a deep kind of close minded worldview. Well, the other thing that's happened is that he had several people, including the former president of the United States, come out and support him, and they happened so quickly it was almost impossible to have any press coverage. And the way it was done was so uh, 
amateurish. In other words, they didn't have proper lighting for the president. It was just, uh, I, I think they lost news cycles in the process. And uh, this whole campaign, I think, is being handled in such a poor way. Yeah, it's definitely not the best run campaign in the world. And they've also had some obstacles that I think nobody saw coming, uh, like the coronavirus. Right. It is hard, admittedly, to run a campaign from your basement. Um, so, yeah, Joe Biden's campaign has not exactly been a grade A stuff so far. And I think we'll, we'll see that. I imagine he will fumble this whole vice president thing. Whoever his, his pick ends up being, I think he, he's not going to make the right choice. And he's go, he'll probably pick someone like Stacey Abrams, right. who essentially has no quality, no qualifications. She's lost every race except state senator, uh, but is vocal about the fact that she's demanding Biden pick a black woman. And that, I mean, the primary is over. So he doesn't have to just appeal to super left-wing Democrats anymore. He's got to try to appeal to mainstream people. And mainstream people with any political persuasion roll their eyes at that kind of thing and are put off by it. So I think that he's falling into a trap with this vice presidential selection, and I hope he doesn't just fall for it and kind of kowtow to the identity politics crowd. Right. I think, in fact, a better narrative might be, I'm going to choose the best person, irrespective of color or gender, and then select the black woman. Perhaps that would <laughs> that would work out best. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to get your comments about uh, this uh, money that's being distributed right now, and you've written uh, the column that you wrote, Pornography, Shoes, and Harvard Welfare, Coronavirus Relief Money, already being wasted in too many ways to count. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, one of my frustrations was, I think that the debate over the well, the stimulus intervention into the economy and the coronavirus it's a debate worth having. I'm not sitting here saying the government should have done nothing. Right. But since that bill went out, it was done with such haste. It was done. Uh, we've seen dead people getting checks. Yeah. We've seen uh, lots of people who don't need the money, like me. I'm a journalist. I have a cushy job that I do from home, and my salary is not affected. I got Trump bucks. I shouldn't have gotten taxpayer welfare. That's ridiculous. Right. So we've, got, we've seen it go to many people who don't need it, and the result of that has been millennials and Gen Z opening online about spending it on porn, shoes, um, other sorts of things. And, we've, and I've also I've looked at the statistics for porn subscriptions have skyrocketed in the week <laughs> since the checks came out. So you can put, your listeners can put two and two together there. Yeah. I guess my whole frustration is that when you have a massive government program like this, it's inevitably going to be corrupted and wasted in many ways. And that's why I just wish this had been done in more of a narrow, targeted manner. I couldn't agree more, Brad. And riddle me this. I mean, we read about the, the narrative has been, hey, uh, people are living paycheck to paycheck. And yet what we're finding out is we find, we're getting stories like this where the money's being wasted. People are sitting home and you buying, uh, buying shoes. <laughs> so how do you reconcile these two, these two narratives? There are a lot of people living to paycheck to paycheck, and there are a lot of people who needed the coronavirus relief check. Right. But then there's the other half of society, right? There's the 25-year-old millennial living in his mom's basement who doesn't need it and is taken care of. Yeah. Um, or there's Harvard University with their $40 billion endowment who got millions in taxpayer dollars from this bill. And that's the problem with universal welfare. I mean, this bill, not 
totally universal, but it pretty much gave most people eligibility. Right. Rather, it, what it should have done was find specific groups of people that are really being hurt right now, like restaurant owners, small business owners, and given them, cut them big checks rather than give everybody a check. Absolutely you right. Throw money into the air at, at random people at the expense of future generations charging up the debt. Well, you know what? A lot of that money's going to get wasted, and that's what we're seeing now. Yeah, Brad, great commentary again. And coming from a great uh, Washington Examiner, I encourage our listeners to go to WashingtonExaminer.com. Terrific website for news and commentary. Brad Palumbo, the Deputy Contributors Editor and Commentary Writer for the Washington Examiner. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former Na Naples Mayor, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Uh, tell us about less government, Seaton. Uh, we exist to reduce the 
outside scope and sphere of influence of government, and we're cratering, cratering in the wrong direction. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. So you write a group, great piece, and I think this is a hot topic. It's about Google and about China and Apple. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, you know, it's been disconcerting. Apple and Google, which, of course, control uh, the iPhone and the, and the Android, and people... For whatever reason, uh, Android is the number one. People think Apple iPhone is the number one phone. No, Google's Android is the number one most used operating system in the world. Hmm. Of course, iPhone second. Um, in September of last year, 52% of Americans used an Android. I mean, it's that big. Wow. And then, of course, iPhone's got to be 30% of the rest. So they're teaming up, you know, in the name of coronavirus, they're teaming up to track everybody everywhere in the name of social distancing and the name of, uh, you know, tracking everybody uh, for the government. And, of course, I don't like that. And no one should like that that likes privacy and freedom. Um, they, they volunteer to do that. Uh, Britain's already taken them up on it because, of course, they don't have as many freedoms as we do enshrined in our Constitution. But uh, Jared Kushner, who is the ideological weak link in the Trump family, is talking to um, these two companies about doing this. And, of course, that's a problem. Of course, Google and, and has a long track record of capitulating to communist China to get access to their market. And they remove, uh, they, they, they censor Google, uh, Google searches at the behest of the Chinese government. They remove apps from their app store at the behest of the Chinese government. Apps that, for example, help uh, Chinese citizens evade communist Chinese government officials and tracking uh, efforts. Um, and with all this going on, you know, and of course, we've talked about this before, they steal like crazy. Yep. They, you know, they, they, they give away... Uh, other people's intellectual property to China to get into China. Um, they steal all sorts of things from everybody, intellectual property, trademarks, copyright material, uh, patents. And all of this is going on. And one of the cases, normally they get away with it because they're so big, no one can stop them. You know, some poor little inventor in his garage is not going to be able to take on trillion-dollar Google if Google decides to steal his invention. Right. Well, we have a lawsuit pending at the Supreme Court, which has now been suspended, because everything is suspended, uh, because of this freak-out shutdown. Um, but the case is, Oracle is, is, is Larry Ellison's company. It's a tech company. And they purchased a product called Java. Java is an open-source platform. What it is, is basically, there's a lot of, pretty rudimentary building blocks to most websites. And what Java does is says, here, here's the, you don't have to rewrite the code. We'll give you the code. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is keep what you make with it open, like our platform is open, or pay us the money. Well, Google stole uh, the Java uh, software to build Android, the number one Again, the number one operating system in the, in the world. They built it with Java. 
didn't keep it open, of course, because they've trademarked and patented uh, Android out the wazoo. And they've never paid uh, Oracle anything for it. So this lawsuit's been going on since 2010. Yeah. And it's now finally reached the Supreme Court. And, you know, I just, I, I, I painted Google with, you know, Apple. Because, of course, Apple also, is they're more over a barrel in China than anybody, any other company. You know, they, they've given away all kinds of uh, tech that they, they, they do and do not lawfully possess to get into China. They, they censor and, and punish Chinese citizens to appease the Chinese government. And it's just, it's a birds of a feather story. Well, that's with right. all that Google does domestically, with all that Google does internationally, with all the fellow thieves it runs with, I, it stands to reason that probably in this case, Google's guilty of stealing from, from Oracle. And, of course, the facts of the case dictate right. that Google the uh, Java uh, language and use it to build Android without permission. Right, absolutely. So it's, just, it's just, again, we have to remind everybody, go big government can't do anything without big tech. Uh, as far as tracking us and censoring us and, and all that. You see it, uh, by the way, you see it again, Facebook is taking down uh, pages that talk about you know, protest to open up the government and the shutdown. Right. Uh, and they do it depending, they, they either take it down or don't, depending upon which politician they're talking to. So you brought up so some... So if it's a you brought up some... like Whitmer in, in uh, Michigan, Facebook takes it down. If uh, a Republican is, if they're dealing with a Republican state, they don't take it down. Right. Well, that's, that's First Amendment violation one step removed. Right. If they're doing it at the behest of the government, that's the government censoring people. So I, I just, in all of these things, and by the way, the piece I wrote that we're talking about, Facebook blocked and said it was fake news. <laughs> they stopped me from posting. The, the irony. So, it's see, I mean, I, this is a, such an interesting story, and I'm, I'm hopeful the Supreme Court will rule in Oracle's favor because clearly Google stole. Uh, intellectual property, and that there needs to be not only uh, some sort of retribution against Google, but also a lesson to everybody who might want to steal intellectual property. Uh, they they ought to think twice about doing that. Number one, and number two, we have five G coming, and uh, with five G, the internet Internet of Things, uh, there's going to be even enhanced opportunities for invading our privacy, for for uh, taking taking. Uh, Shots at our liberty, and we should be very concerned about that. No, that's exactly right. And, and, and you brought up 5G, which, of course, is it's either us or, or communist China leading the world on it. I'm hopeful. This is a. I'm trying to get some optimism out of this coronavirus nonsense. And I, I'm hoping that, we, that the world more clearly learns the lesson that China's not to be trusted and they should go with us on 5G. Yeah. But given the fact that Everybody's so eminently bribable, as we saw at the World Health Organization and the United Nations. I'm not entirely. I'm not 
entirely behind my own little attempt. At no, you know, I understand that, but Boris Johnson decided to, to uh, eliminate Huawei from consideration and implementation of 5G. We certainly have, so things might be looking in the direction that we're both pulling for. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the website lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always great to get your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you, Seton. Seton's in our car right now. Uh, he actually owns a home down here. He's on his way down. I asked him if, off air if he stopped on the trip to, if, if he was stopped because he's uh, driving across state lines. He says he hasn't that up to this point, so we'll wish him well driving down here on the Paradise Coast. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, former Naples Mayor Bill Barnett. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed. Curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And, of course, uh, right now the Democrats want to have more uh, uh, SNAP cards, more uh, food food stamps. Uh, but uh, hopefully we're going to get people, rather than that, get them back to work. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, it's always my pleasure on a Thursday morning. Hey, you know, speaking about your, your, your earlier commercial a minute ago about the FGA, they've got their hands full 
Well, they do, don't they? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, normally, you know, you get, it's uh, you look at it today, and it's like, oh my gosh, uh, there's a lot of jobs. I mean, there there will be a lot of jobs to fill. Oh, well, there certainly will. The landscape has changed dramatically. I just hope that we get this economy back going again and uh, don't lose. You know, if we wait too long, if the recovery process is going to be very difficult, and it would be just a shame. We need to get going. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, and I think you know it's a to catch twenty two. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt about it, because um, on one hand we're trying to, you know, get rid of the coronavirus, um, and we're trying to do things carefully, and yet people are getting uh, really, really antsy about it that they need to be out and they need to be working again, and so you know you understand both sides. I think nobody, I don't think it's one side versus the other. I think we're all in the, you know, in the same. On the, we're all in the same boat. It's just a matter of which way that boat is going to go. That's right. Well, it's it's not an either or. We have to do both. We have right, to keep right, ourselves safe right. and healthy. I understand the public health issue, but certainly the economy, uh, that's going to make people sick too if we don't get back to work. So. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so, hey, Bill, you know, the uh, Naples City Council's called an emergency meeting for tomorrow. What's that all about? <laughs> well, Bob, you know, I, I, there are certain things you understand and certain things you don't. Um, <laughs> the, the main part of what, of what uh, the mayor has called for tomorrow is about the, uh, the 8th Street, the second phase of the 8th Street program, you know, the... the the redo, you know, we did the first half of it and it looked so good. And then uh, they've already started on the uh, second phase. And I have no clue of what's on her mind, but I, but my suspicion is that she wants to stop it. Uh-huh. Now, mind you, we've already paid for, for the majority of that uh, work. And, um, but, but my point is, is emergency. Bob, a hurricane is an emergency. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's linking this to the to the uh, coronavirus, and um, they're going to have something to say about that. But they must do that, no matter what meeting they have. They have to give an update on on the on the uh, COVID nineteen. But um, this, to me, is just a sham. Uh, there is no reason in the world that they have to do this meeting tomorrow. Absolutely zero. So help our listeners understand the sure. uh, this, what this work of the 8th Street Extension, what exactly is involved in that? Well, you know, we did the first half um, of, um, of 8th Street, and it came out beautifully, you know, with the roundabout and the, uh, the landscaping. And so the second half is from Central Avenue down to uh, 7th. Okay, and they've already started on the project because we want to do it during the summer, of course, and just to finish up that whole project. So that whole street looks, you know, spectacular, will function well, uh, bike lanes and, and easier, uh, you know, it's blue zone friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, why in the world, um, with the new council in there, she has decided to, uh, that she to put a halt to it is beyond me. Now, I don't know for a fact what it is that she really wants to talk about tomorrow with that, but what my point is is that that is not an emergency. Bob. Yeah. That's just just plain not. Um, and, you know, when you have the power like that, um, she has that power because of the emergency document that was signed uh, a month ago, or actually when I was still, still mayor, we signed that. We put that into effect so that the mayor could if need be, 
if it had to do with with uh, with something that the governor was doing or the beaches or things like that, had the power to be able to call an emergency council meeting. Yeah. But you don't use that power um, unless it is an emergency. And and this is just my opinion. I'm I'm just a local Bob. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, saying, hey, you know, th- this is about as far from an emergency as you could possibly get. This is just a scheme, as far as I'm concerned. No, you know, none of the public is going to be there because it's it's on. Uh, it's it's going to be one of those Zoom meetings. And the and the sad thing is, they said that if you want to have public input, let's just say you wanted to say something about it, Bob, mm-hmm. you have to send an email in, mm-hmm. like today, uh, uh, of what you what you want to say. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, transparency and having the public there. This is a big deal. This is a big um, deal indeed. And, and there's other things that could be done, obviously, not, not that right now. I mean, we're already working on that project. Uh, I, and I agree with that. I mean, we see uh, officials, elected officials, uh, having uh, overreach and trying to, you know, the, the old saying is that we have a catastrophe here, we've got a problem, do something. My suggestion is we have a, we have a problem here. Do uh, undo something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That that's that's exactly right. So, anyway, that's uh, you know that sounds like city business. But um, uh, I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the employees are working from home, and um, uh, the city's been 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 careful with. Uh, you know, if you don't feel well, it's the same thing. You know, d- you know, don't come in. You know, right. stay home. And so far, so good. So far, so, so good. Hey, uh, before I let you go, I was wondering if you'd comment at all. I, well, I saw in the Naples Daily News this morning there's uh, they're continuing to evaluate whether to amend the city's ordinance, noise ordinance, because of these gasoline-powered leaf blowers. Right. That they are pretty. You know, I, I quite frankly am pretty supportive of that because I hate the sound of leaf blowers. But what are your thoughts? Well, we 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 uh, prior council discussed it um, all the way till it couldn't be discussed anymore, and I think we all agreed. The prior council agreed that it is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 contractors, um, the landscapers, and whatever. Um, I think we're there's going to be a grace period. Obviously, at this time of the you know at this time with the money, and the economy the way it is, um, you know it might be a little expensive at first, but let's face it. Who really ends up paying for them? Yeah, taxpayers, do, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's your lawn, right? So I, I think that will pass. I don't think there's going to be any opposition about that. Well, uh, I, that sounds good, but I, I just want to highlight the importance, I think, of uh, we have technology where we could have more silent leaf blowers. And of by the way, these, these things are big polluters uh, for those that aren't aware. No doubt. So, uh, that, I mean, I think it's a great idea, and it's a, something that actually... Uh, Teresa Heitman could do as mayor of Naples right now. <laughs> which, yeah, which, yeah, that, that's something that she can just learn. She can, all she has to do is learn how to say yes, yes, that's a good idea. Okay, all in favor? Yeah. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Uh, again, Naples' former mayor. <laughs> we'll see, Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not very optimistic and hopeful about this, like a I am, I am, really. I am absolutely bubbling with optimism this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Look forward to talking to you next week. Me, Bye-bye. me too. Thank you, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. 
always appreciate your feedback. Got a lot of thoughtful emails here in the last few days, and uh, we would like to hear from you. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. If you're not on the distribution list for our uh, daily, you know, five days a week after the show, we send out some information about the show, you can get on the list uh, by sending me an email at bobhardenhotmail.com. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be see visiting with some terrific guests, including William Yateman. He is a senior uh, correspondent with the Cato Institute. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment, will be with us. Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep and president of Executive Management Services, doing businesses in over 40 states with over uh, 6,000 employees. A great story about uh, the unions. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Scopes. I've actually put down, uh, uh, by the way, I apologize. I played one break tw twice, did that twice, two days in a row, so I'm going to try and stop that. Anyhow, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. Namaste. <laughs>